0: This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, Do we like this movie? This week, we're discussing... Dogma. Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel.
1: And I am your angelic host, Harvey.
0: And uh, this week we are talking about the 1999 movie, Dogma. This is a 1999 movie. Um, This is the first time I've seen this movie in, God, years and years and years. I must have been in high school the last time I watched it. Um, And this is like the first time I really paid full attention to it. It's been one of those movies that's been kind of like a background movie for a really long time. And uh, I really didn't think about it again until you mentioned that you wanted us to do this on the show, which I'm totally down for, except then you decided <laughs> to tell me, oh, hey, guess what? Uh, to watch this movie, I'm going to have to drop off the DVD at your house. Mm-hmm. And Mm-hmm. You had to work for it. That was highly annoying it was annoying (laughs) for me to see you yes no no it was fun for me to see you but it was annoying the fact that i couldn't watch this movie until after i had a dvd player and also just the fact that uh outside of my ps4 and my wife's older laptop nothing plays dvds anymore so i think the best place (laughs) to start with this movie is what your experience with it is and why the fuck is this movie not available streaming anywhere so,
1: why is it not available to stream? It's actually a very interesting story. The rights to this film are owned by a very evil and in jail piece of shit by the name of Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> and the thing is, Harvey Weinstein actually owns the physical rights to this film. So, it's this weird legal, like president thing that he has where like physically the movie belongs to him and his company but because he is currently rotting in jail and as we know and well i don't know if people know this but here in the united states no one is a, anyone that's in jail is not able to make money off of anything they have outside of you know their prison term going on so essentially any like all of harvey weinstein's uh assets are completely frozen and he can't do anything with that so the thing is you know dogma this is one of those movies that was supposed to get a like streaming service uh i think it's one of the it's one of the or it was supposed to get like a streaming service release it was one of the few kevin smith movies that haven't made a streaming service because like they just the Weinstein Company never got to do anything with them. As a result, I think it was the 15. No wait, what? No, this movie came out in 1999. So I believe back in 2019, they weren't able to do anything for the 20 year anniversary of, of Dogma because it was like in the middle of Harvey Weinstein like going to jail for <laughs> being a terrible human being. So as a result, they weren't able to do anything with Dogma. So as so, there's no Blu-ray releases. There's no real like legal way to watch this movie over the uh, you know over a streaming platform. So it's just one of the it's one of like Kevin Smith's works that are just kind of lost in time. And the only way there that it's ever going to get a release is that I think if Harry Weinstein gets out and. Or, you know, he signs over rights to it or, you know, Kevin Smith might have to spend millions of dollars in, in a weird, uh, like, rights lawsuit over, you know, to try to get the rights to his own film back. So, yeah, it's, it, unfortunately, it is hard for, it's going to be hard for a lot of folks to try to watch this film. Uh, you can find copies of it, like my copy, uh, you can, you know, you can buy it on Amazon um, chances are they're only going to be DVD copies, and even then, they're probably burned DVD copies. <laughs> I mean, I'm basically, sure you, can...
0: you can only procure this movie through nefarious means. You have to go into the dark web. <laughs> okay, no, I'm not telling
1: any of our listeners go on the dark web.
0: <laughs> no, but you do have to go into the dark recesses of the non-dark web internet. By which we mean YouTube, like,
1: (laughs) like you can, like, you're literally one Google search away uh, from finding this movie on, you know, Google, so or either on YouTube or any other website. So, again, we're always all about. We're not saying go out and do that, but make sure you like kick some money over to Kevin Smith, Venmo him twenty bucks. I'm probably gonna Venmo him twenty bucks. I just need to talk to (laughs) me and him are besties but yeah that's pretty much the weird the weird story for how you know why this movie is a pain in the ass for most folks to watch uh people might remember this movie came out a lot like on comedy central like kind of like you were saying it's one of those movies that you would always have on in the background
0: that's where i saw
1: it yeah like my experience with the film uh, as i same thing like i think I, i watched the edited version the edited on, like, you know, the Sunday mornings or Saturday mornings, whenever, like, uh, Comedy Central would have it on. I'm like, oh, cool. Like, this movie is really cool. I always thought it was funny. And then I finally got to see it, like... You, you know how Comedy Central used to do the hidden stash where they would do the unedited movies at, like, 11 o'clock at night? And yes. then, um, yeah, sure. like like, that's how I eventually saw it unedited. And I was like, holy crap, like, this... like this is pretty fucking cool like (laughs) and and i think i saw this movie at a very interesting time it came out in 1999 i think i really got into this movie when i started getting into high school so like oh five oh six, um that's when i started really like i think that's when i started quote unquote getting gavin smith so that's when i was watching like, like clerks and then eventually clerks 2 came out i think by like my senior year of high school or junior year of high school. But then that's how I saw, like, Mallrats. Uh, that's how I saw Jansom and Bob Strike Back, you know? Like, I started really getting into all these characters in Kevin Smith's writings. Um, and specifically, this movie like, really hit a, hit a nerve for me as I was a young man in a Catholic high school, kind of going through my own like, cr- not crisis of faith, but kind of figuring
0: stuff out. So... Yeah, I think that's my experience with the film. (laughs) All right, so movie lost in time is probably a good way to put it because, again, it's a movie I don't really hear about very often these days. I'm not very familiar with the chronology of Jay and Silent Bob movies. So, you know, if, if you could explain to a layman like myself, is there any kind of official chronology for this or is it just like the same characters in like simpson-esque uh style where it's like nothing will ever get referenced in another movie that they're in
1: i think simpson-esque is probably the best way to put it is that but you know it has its weird thing where they have these collection of characters that are somehow interconnected but they're using like such goofy ways where you you never you never view them um, as one interconnected timeline, unless it's directly connected, unless it's directly like referenced in the movie. So, for example, like Clerks and Clerks 2, right? Like, obviously, that, like, especially Jay and Silent Bob, these are just characters that keep recurring. Um, but there is no solid timeline, there's no chronology, there's no um, extended Kevin Smith u- movie universe. <laughs> Essentially, um, kind of every film is filmed in a way where you can just pick it up and watch it without having to worry with uh, about, you know, it being interconnected with anything else. Uh, they're just characters he made up that he enjoyed. Uh, but, you know, like, there's... Like, for example, I think the most interconnected ones are, like, Chasing Amy, Mall Rats, and uh Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Because it's, like, the comic book artist from... I think or I think it's like Jason Lee's character from uh from Mall Rats is like one of the guys that uh Jane Silent Bob talked to about trying to find out who's making their movie. Um and then I think like Ben Affleck's character in Chasing Amy is like the comic book writer that made uh that made the Jane Silent Bob uh comic book that's getting adapted into a movie. So it's like they're um I think I guess the best way to describe, like, the best way to describe, like, kind of the Kevin Smith movies universe, quote unquote, is, like, kind of how Adam Sandler is literally just making movies to to put all his friends in right now. That's kind of what Kevin Smith was doing in the early aughts, like, 90s into the early aughts. He was just making all these movies and making characters for his friends to play. And then, like, they're just making all these movies
0: together. In some ways, I think where we talked about uh, Cable Guy, even though it was the director wasn't that well-known yet, or at least one of the creators wasn't that well-known yet, uh, judd apatow kind of did that in the mid-aughts as well um yeah you know but- funny enough jay and silent bob <laughs> another connection that i have to them that's gonna like god people are gonna be like can you hurry up and start talking about the movie but this will be the last digression before we start talking about this um there's an episode of the degrassi <laughs> teen tv series that apparently um kevin smith is a huge fan of and uh to the point where he did like i think it's like a Two or four episode like story arc where Jay and Silent Bob are actually filming a movie at the school and it's like a whole bunch of like drama that takes place around it. So yes. And, Kevin Smith does just do what he wants <laughs> at this point.
1: Pretty much he created these characters and he just drops them anywhere. Like for a while he learned there was talks about Jay and Silent Bob being in uh Freddie versus Jason like way back when and then that ended up not going through because like the there was like a weird rights dispute so they just made a character who was a stand-in for jay
0: which is absolutely the dumbest part of that (laughs) really great movie but anyway (laughs) all right so uh this movie has a bit of a you know a cast of known people um what's it called uh we have chris rock in this we have of course kevin smith and uh and jason muse we have uh some hayek matt damon ben affleck uh jason lee as you said uh linda fiorentino i you know i've seen her in stuff but she's probably the least (laughs) like uh the, the person that i'm familiar with the least i've only seen her in like three movies so whatever um but it's a pretty like you know pretty interesting cast and of course uh We have our priest character who's played by the late great uh george carlin right
1: yeah he's cardinal glick this is like (laughs) a real who's who of 90s like actors because i think like jenny garofalo's in it she's in fucking everything around this time (laughs) who else is in it yeah i mean yeah it's interesting this is this is a movie that has a sneaky like very very stacked cast for a movie that just kind of flies under most people's radar, you know? Oh, and Linus sets in it. I forgot. <laughs> she plays God.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, man. So, yeah, let, let's get in it. I mean, unless you have any other, like, starting thoughts that you want to get off. Nope. go for it. All right. So, yeah, this film opens up with um, kind of, like, nondescript, like, I guess... Prologue is a good way of putting it. Uh you just like you have this guy hanging out at the down at the Jersey Shore, um older homeless guy who ends up getting jumped and attacked by uh three guys or three kids. I think kids is kind of appropriate, in uh in street hockey gear. So, you know, they got their they got their um inline skates, their hockey sticks, they end up beating this man into a coma. And then uh, in this, we we get introduced to uh, Bartleby and Loki, who are these two guys that are uh, played by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. So uh, Loki is out talking to kind of like testing the faith of people at this um Uh, testing the faith of these people as they at their uh at an airport he's talking this nun talking about how i forget what poem it is but how there's like a uh there's this poem i believe where they're talking about like the how all religions in a way are right (laughs) and how because of that no religion is right and how believing in like a higher power is kind of stupid and like humans should be more worried about than here and now and kind of like living their secular life. So essentially like Matt Damon is, he spends his days in this uh, airport, In Wisconsin, just kind of testing the faith of clergymen and like nuns and priests and whatnot, and pretty much convincing them to like swear off Catholicism. (laughs) Which we then learn, uh, Bartleby, played by Ben Affleck, tells him, You know, I don't get it. Why do you do this? You've met God, you know what God is like, you've talked to God you know, what, like, why do you love talking to these people about their faith and kind of testing their faith? To which Loki just responds, I like fucking with them. Like, simple as that. And, you know, through, these, through the dialogue between the pair, uh, we learn that they have, like, a disdain for humanity. Um, but we we learn that there are two fallen angels that were cast out of heaven by God during the plagues for uh, questioning a divine mandate. And they were cursed to essentially live among the humans because they 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 believed they were better than them. But you know, this scene, all it really does is serve as an expo dump to kind of uh get us where we're going and kind of get the main plot of the film. So pretty much Loki Loki and Bartleby find out that there's a church in uh New Jersey that on its centennial or hundredth anniversary uh is actually gonna give out indulgences to uh to people they're trying to bring back indulgences it's a time when the when the church is kind of like you know not really not really having the best reputation uh so what they want to do is essentially the idea of an indulgence is it's a get out of hell free card anyone who goes and uh claims one is essentially automatically given a um given a chance to go back to heaven
0: well, you know, give let's let's you know the Catholic Church has a much better uh, image twenty years later, eh? Mm. <laughs> it
1: depends who you talk to. I guess
0: <laughs> it absolutely does not. It is even worse, and uh, I'm perplexed by what the point of this movie is. Right? I mean, I get it. I think it's 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 interesting in 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 theory and how it unfolds and i'm not bored watching this movie at all i just don't understand what the point of it is and uh but you know i, I at this point i'm giving it a chance right in this early mm-hmm. part of the movie but, oh, no, th-
1: this movie relies a lot on catholic mythology and catholic and christian mythology so there's going to be a lot of words and a lot of terminology
0: and a lot of references to stuff from the bible um i think the other thing too is it, this movie came out in 99 you know, it was mm-hmm. it was it was filmed in the couple years before 2000, but it was you know it did come out in 99, and I just remember Y2K was like the big thing, this kind of like world-altering event that people kept thinking was going to happen. So the fact that you're making something like this, and here I'm gonna go for another deep pull that. Unless you were around in the '90s, like us, like you're not gonna remember this. But Arnold Schwarzenegger does a 1999 movie also called End of Days, where he's like trying to stop the apocalypse, right, or trying to stop like Satan himself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I feel like this kind of stuff. While it doesn't make any sense to me now, and I don't understand the purpose behind it. It kind of does make sense. In 99, people were kind of thinking about, you know, oh, well, now we're in the 90s. Things are getting more, quote unquote, modern and, you know, are, are things continuing to drift further and further away from, uh, you know, from ideas of, of um, secular, you know, like these more. You know church secular activities or like ideals and stuff like that and i and funny enough i think another movie that we did on this podcast that deals with this kind of stuff that does not not that it deals with it but it feels like the time that it's coming around is kind of similar is like when we did rosemary's baby and we talked about how in the 60s they were you know there was all these things where they were talking about you know has god died are we are we abandoned faith and all that kind of stuff and this kind of feels like it's in the same vein in terms of what it's trying to say
1: well i think the the thing to keep in mind is that and here's the reason why this movie i relate to this movie a lot so kevin smith is a guy that kind of was jaded by catholicism and i can also speak from my experience as someone that was also also has his gripes and has been jaded by organized religion and that's kind of what this movie is about. It's not necessarily poking fun at people that are that do have faith. It's not really poking fun at people. It's not like satire towards people that actually do believe in religion or do believe in God or believe in Buddha or, you know, Yahweh or Allah or whoever, right? Like the idea is that, like, the I think the big take-home message of this film is supposed to be that if you believe in something, like, there's a way for you to believe in something without being an asshole about it and if you're and the important thing is to find something that you can believe in and find something that can give you like fulfillment to you know to keep going in this movie or not in this movie but in this life right um because i think this movie does a really good job of like kind of poking fun at the institution and pointing pointing poking fun at kind of like how us as humans have taken these ideas of deities and these uh theosophy or theology and we've corrupted them so much to our own ends um and it it is enough to make people jaded and i think like the main character bethany is a perfect example i think like bethany is a stand-in for kevin smith or bethany is a stand-in for anyone that's ever felt a like um a, a crisis of faith. Someone that has has become jaded with their religion, um and you know I think what, ultimately what this movie tries to deposit is that hey, it's okay if you don't want to believe in what traditional religion is supposed to be. You know, it's okay if you want to believe in a little bit of everything and create your faith. But I think it's like the big thing is to try to believe that you, you know, try to try to deposit that it's okay to believe in something bigger than yourself, right? Um, and I think that, you know, it's it's weird because religion, you don't see too many religious movies now. <laughs> like, I don't think we've seen, you know, that, like you said, I think it was the turn of the the turn of the century and the new millennia really did influence a lot of filmmakers to make those types of stories, make those apocalyptic movies, because Catholicism is a very apocalyptic religion. Um so it is weird going back and seeing this movie be so heavy handed when it comes to like the, the, uh, the apocalyptic of religion, you know? Um, but yeah, like talking about Bethany. So, uh, we found, you know, our, our movie follows the main character, Bethany, who is a, a crisis counselor at an abortion clinic. Um, you know, as we get to know her as a character, we learn that she's someone that went to church all the time as a kid, was very deeply rooted in her faith. Um, She was, you know, she would go to church all the time, but eventually kind of started, started kind of questioning why she was doing it, if she was getting spiritual fulfillment, until she finally kind of felt abandoned by her faith and by her God. And ultimately what kind of drove her away from her, from her place in religion is the fact that, uh, she actually couldn't have children. And as a result, her ex-husband ended up leaving her and ended up with somebody else. Um, so as a result, now she's working at the clinic to kind of help people. Um, and this is where we get to meet, you know, the, you know, this is where we get to meet good old Metatron played by the
0: late great Alan Rickman. I forgot Alan Rickman was in this movie. (laughs) This was the most pleasantly surprising, uh, you know, uh, character in this movie. Maybe even my favorite. (laughs) He's just got such a like, I'm over all of this shit kind of attitude that, you know, it was a perfect way. It was the way I was going into this movie. So, you know, he's definitely the character that I identified with the most. Uh, But I think he's, I think he's a really good, I think he's a really good character and he does a good job of kind of explaining where this movie going to go. Right? So
1: you, so you, uh, you looked at the character who acts as the literal voice of God and who is a total dick bag to everyone else. And you're like, yeah, that's the guy I relate to in this movie.
0: Absolutely. That says more about
1: <laughs> you and your opinion. You have of yourself.
0: Well, you know what? <laughs> I definitely wasn't going to identify with, uh, you know, Ben Affleck or Matt Damon as uh, you know Bartleby and uh, Loki mm-hmm. they you know they seem more like sociopaths who are interested in at least early on in the movie before you find out why they're doing it they seem like just straight sociopathic angels um you know and and you know you're gonna be introduced to Jay and silent Bob at some point mm-hmm. um but yeah this guy's absolutely yeah absolutely the voice of God is that that's <laughs> yeah he's a smart ass and why not yeah I love this guy
1: And I love, and you know what I do like about the about um the use of Metatron as a character is that it justifies expo dumps in a in a movie where you need expo dumps because you got to remember, like we were mentioning earlier, like there this movie draws a lot on Catholicism. Not everyone knows the Bible like that. Not everyone read the Bible. Not everyone knows you know mythology like that. So I think the
0: other thing is if you're gonna cast literal God in a movie, that's a very tricky thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where it's like everyone has a perception of what they think God is supposed to be and look like. So when you cast a character like it, you know, that's supposed to be God, you're probably better off dealing with God's minions than you would be dealing with God himself. You know, for me personally, I think the, the quintessential God on film is Morgan Freeman. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you Bruce Almighty. <laughs> but you know that it, it's interesting this movie uh, draws a lot like it feel like it draws a lot from uh a movie or a comic book that was coming around, around around this time and if you guys know me you know i'm a huge fucking fan of it which is preacher which is like just this irreverent like funny violent like road story about a preacher that is trying to find God who abandoned humanity and he's trying to hold them accountable for it. And that's like, like, it's funny, this script like gives me a lot of vibes to preacher, but it's very, it's very much like you can tell Kevin Smith uh, got a lot of talking points from Garth Ennis, Uh, Garth Ennis being the comic book writer. If you've watched the boys on Amazon, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. He's like, you'll, you'll see kind of like some similarities between that and this it's just very irreverent uh style comedy and stuff um but yeah that, like that like there it's it's uh it's one of those tropes where it's like even in that comic i don't think the, your character jesse custer meets god until like the last third of the of the of the series and that's probably kind of like you said i think it's a really good way to kind of also avoid too much hate or get too much flack um by mostly focusing on the angels as opposed to the almighty him or her self it is 2021 now <laughs> but yeah so uh, metatron comes and he gives bethany her her mission uh which is uh to essentially stop these two angels from getting into heaven because the idea is that if they do get into heaven uh Essentially, existence, you know, the, the main underlying rule of existence is that God is infallible. And since God casted these angels out of heaven, and if they were to somehow weasel their way back in, it kind of breaks the one rule of, you know, God being infallible, which would then cause the end of existence as we know it. Um. So she's been tasked as the last scion, as they keep uh, referring to her as. Uh, in order to uh, stop the angels and you know making sure the universe is safe uh, we also get introduced to Jason Lee's character a demon by the name of Asriel he's kind of like he's in the he's in the in the um, in the background kind of pulling strings at this point in the film we don't really know uh too much about what he's doing but all we do know is that he commands the with the 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 three hockey kids also known as the stygian triplets uh he ends up sticking them on uh bethany one night when she's leaving work and before they can kill her she gets saved by a couple a couple heroic drug dealers by the name of jay and silent (laughs) bomb
0: all right so jay and silent bomb are going to be posited as prophets Later in this movie, are they really prophets, or do they just happen to be there? And it's like one of those things that nobody ever asks any questions about it. She, like I feel like she just assumes that they are, <laughs> and like Bethany just assumes that they are. But like I don't know. I I, I don't understand if they are actual prophets or if they're just like guys that she happened to run into.
1: I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's she assumed. It was one of those things where I think they are supposed to be the prophets that she was looking for. And I think that's kind of the whole subverting of expectations in this movie is that you're expecting him to be you're expecting him to be this regal, like pious types of prophets that speak in these and those. I, I but guess.
0: It, yeah, it's kind of like the gag of George Carlin being a priest in this. It's it's taking people who you absolutely wouldn't cast in these roles and then having them be the guys because then we're also going to have the 13th apostle that's going to show up later played by chris rock as well and
1: (laughs) and i think it's great i think those are the little things that i do love about this because it does add it deposits a little bit of humanity in what you know these christian and catholic um, myths that we've come in these stories that we've come to kind of accept to be true right is that at the end of the day, yeah, you want to make these guys seem, if you're going to base a religion on them, it makes sense to show them at their best foot forward. But in reality, everyone's human and everyone has a little bit of Jay
0: and Silent Bob in them, you know?
1: Well, favorite- I think
0: I think this the kind of stuff that this movie is going to talk about, do, and be part of in the story, just like in terms of all the mythology, right? Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that can be insanely boring and can turn you off completely But what helps in this situation is that because the cast is people that you know, I feel like it's easier to accept it. It's like, yeah, of course, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Chris Rock, Selma Hayek, like, you know, Kevin Smith. Yes, I yes, yes, I will. I will go with you on this journey (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) only because, you know, at least if you're going to be talking about stuff that's dry and I don't really understand the attraction in it, and I don't understand what is so great about this, at least all the actors are people that, like, I'm interested enough that I'm ready to follow them on whatever journey they're going on. So let's get to the
1: 13th Apostle, since I feel like you actually, he's one of the few characters you'd like from this movie. (laughs) Like you mentioned, 13th Apostle being uh, Rufus, uh, the, the, the Black Apostle um you know right off the bat like he 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 comes in swinging as far as talking about how he was left out of the bible because uh you know they weren't ready to talk about a black man being a part of the original 12 they weren't er, er, around uh jesus original apostles he immediately starts uh, talking about how jesus was black
0: um, the only problem with this that kind of bothers me and this is <laughs> I, I don't mean to start nitpicking all of this Mm-hmm. let's be clear like you know if you're someone who who understands religion and the bible and all that kind of stuff and you've seen like art of what all of these characters from the bible like are supposed to look like overwhelmingly white right and i get that this movie is going to subvert things to an extent when we finally do meet god and we get more into this but you know the fact that most of us would consider Jesus Christ very likely if he existed is middle Eastern, you know, and not the white pale faced blue eyed brown haired guy that he's portrayed as, you Mm -hmm. know, in everything. So it's like, I feel like this portrayal of these biblical characters, it's one of those things that feels dated now to me. Really? Because I feel I think here's the thing.
1: I think in looking in hindsight, it is gonna feel dated. I feel if you're you know what, and, in and, and, and
0: there's plenty of people in this country, I'm sure, that probably still look at those kind of Renaissance like paintings and stuff and say, oh well, yeah, that's exactly what these moments look like. Whatever. I'm just I think it's just me. It's just I, I feel like there's been like a real movement of just in terms of just our thinking, decolonizing some of our thinking. That's well, I mean, the one he, thing that he I is
1: decolonizing though. He said Jesus is black.
0: Like <laughs> that's why I don't understand what your nitpickiness is coming from. My nitpickiness is coming from the other apostles being white.
1: Yeah, and that's why he's pointing that up. I mean, yeah, but that's also completely influenced by Renaissance era art because fuck Michelangelo and all them other <laughs> but uh and all them other turtles. I hate them too. But what was it? Um but that's the thing in ninety nine, I feel like this is like, you know, there's a lot of things in this script that they play around with that you can you can argue super progressive. Uh, especially under the lens of Catholicism from, you know, the late 90s, uh, you know, it, the thing is, by the 2021 lens, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, that's outdated and whatever. But it's like, I think the big thing is you got to watch it when it was made in mind as well, you know um but yeah rufus is played by chris rock he you know he's good for a lot of comedy also given a lot of expo dump a lot of, and it kind of he serves as like a confidant for uh bethany to try to kind of uh keep her on her mission we also get introduced to the muse um i don't i i forget they call her serendipity i don't know if that's her actual name but she play uh she's played by salma hayek uh, I love the way they introduced her. I thought that was hilarious kind of as a play of her being like, if she's going to inspire people, she might as well inspire them at a strip club to give her money. <laughs> but essentially her character is like the, the uh, embodiment of kind of like uh, muses of thought or of art. Like she's supposed to inspire people to create art. Um and I, you know, I love the, I love the joke they make where, you know, why is she in a strip club? Like I thought angels don't have uh, any genitals, and uh, they're like, you know, but you have tits. And then my favorite joke is Chris Rock being like, anyone can have tits. He goes, the chunky dude in the overcoat over there has tits, and he points <laughs> at Silent Bob in the corner. <laughs> And I was like, I, I'm like, that's pretty clever writing, dude. Like that, like that's the thing. When Kevin Smith's writing is like on point, it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> and you know, during this time, uh, you know, they get attacked by the Golgothan shit demon. Uh, I remember you asked me, like, hey, is um, you know, is there anything that might scare my daughter when I watch this movie? That was one of the scenes I was thinking of. The end scene was also what I was thinking of, but I'm like yeah, I don't know if you wanted to to try to sit down and have your daughter see a bunch of people try to fight an actual like
0: demon made of shit. My daughter is toilet training right now, so I'm pretty sure I'm going to see a literal shit demon in the next several weeks of my life. <laughs> <Hi-yo>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the last thing you need. You don't want her to get afraid of like you know that her shit's going to become animated and try to kill you guys. <laughs> Oh man, so um, yeah, the, so we, you know, the, we we end up getting through that. Uh, Silent Bob is able to to stop the shit demon by spraying an aerosol can that says "Stop Strong Orders," odors, which I giggled at. I thought that was a pretty good gag. <laughs> but then you know, we get this scene where, where um, you know all our heroes end up meeting the antagonists on a train as they're riding to New Jersey. Um, and you know, they get to meet Bartleby and Loki. Uh, Bartleby gets hammered with uh Jay and Silent Bob, and while Rufus sleeps, um, oh no, I'm sorry, Loki, yeah, Loki's only gets hammered. Bartleby actually has a good uh conversation with Bethany about concerning their uh crisis of faith and kind of like talking about the first time that you know they, they lost faith in God. um and it's during this time that as Bethany opens up to her, uh, she reveals that, you know, while she's drunk, she reveals that uh her and her group of friends are on their way to try to stop these angels from getting back into heaven. As Rufus wakes up, he recognizes Bartleby and the, you know, that starts a confrontation between them on the on the train that ends with uh silent bob throwing both the angels out. And, uh, you know, them realizing that, or I'm sorry, Bartleby and Loki realizing that th- that this is a lot heavier uh, and that there's a lot more going on uh, than they originally uh, expected.
0: That's where you kind of find out that they're more pawns of someone else's thing as opposed to them being like the big evil in all of this.
1: And uh, I did skip over a couple scenes that I did want to go back to, but before I you know, before I get to that, I wanted to say the scene right after they, they get thrown off the train when Ben Affleck freaks out and you know, has kind of like that realization that he hates humanity, like that Bartleby hates humanity and he's just like, I'm okay with, uh, like, kind of like define God because humans don't realize how good they had it right and you know he goes off on the on that monologue t- talking about how you know they've had the, they had they were given paradise and they pissed it away they were given this planet to live on and they ruined it and they ha- and all the while god has been patient and loving and caring for humans but the angels were forced to be servants to not only god but to these humans these lesser beings And I love the part where, um, where Loki like gets mad and is like, you sound just like the morning star, like, you know, reference to Lucifer. And, you know, for those of you that don't know, that's the whole, the, the, you know, the the war that got angels and the devil cast out and turned to demons. And that's how hell came about. Um, You know, it was just really interesting and I thought it was really well-written and I thought, i thought ben affleck was like chewing scenery in that scene i was like holy shit he did (laughs) that was one of those scenes i didn't really pay attention to when i was younger but watching it now i was like damn that was actually really good um the other scene i I forgot to talk about is when they go visit the movies corporation which is kevin smith's version of mcdonald's um and, you know, we get to see, all the while, like, while our heroes are on their way trying to get to Jersey to stop the angels from getting in, uh, the angels are going on this warpath of kind of uh, divine vengeance, where they're going around killing people. Like, there's the scene where where Loki ends up killing the guy while on the Greyhound bus they're in. There's the scene where they go to the movies, uh the movie's, uh, what's it called, Um, CEO, like, shareholder meeting.
0: One of the best scenes in the movie. One of the best scenes in this movie. I think this is, look, there's some of this stuff where I'm just like, yeah, I'm just really not into it. Like, I really don't know what it's trying to say, or do I relate to what it's trying to say? Look, standing in a boardroom in front of a bunch of rich people who are, you know, causing the decay of Western society with their capitalistic, devil views and and work of satan that they do every single day ruining each and every one of the working class's lives i'm totally fine with them being murdered in a room by these (laughs) angels allegedly
1: (laughs) allegedly (laughs) it's funny my like it's really funny the the dynamic between bartleby and loki because there's like you you can tell like they rehearse like Bartleby's the one that gets them all scared and Loki's the one that kills him. And like Bartleby, uh like I like when he leaves the room and he's just sitting there when Loki starts killing everybody. Cause he goes, like he you know, like Loki leaves and he goes, I don't believe in voodoo, but I do believe in this. And he comes back with his
0: gun and starts killing everyone. What's <laughs> really wild about this, just thinking about it, like is this is like this is Goodwill Hunting era, uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Like you know 100%. what I mean? It's so crazy to think that this is really around the same time as that movie, and um, it's such a different flavor, you know, of movie than that. Like, cause to me, it's like, look, my the best movie I've ever seen Ben Affleck. I mean, uh, Matt Damon in is Goodwill Hunting. Ben Affleck mm-hmm. is in it too, but he's much more of a side character in that. Um, you know, but it's just like it's so wild that in that one it's like Matt Damon feels like the main character in this mm-hmm. one Matt Damon is there and he's an interesting character for sure and it's Loki we all like kind of know Loki like mm-hmm. marvel the mask like this is a this is a kind of like god or kind of figure that i feel like is is brought repeatedly in different like movies and and books and all that kind of stuff so but this Bartleby character clearly he is the brains of at least the operation of these two guys.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think, well, I think it's important to note that the I don't know there must be some in, there must be some importance with the names because low this is Loki, but it's not trickster god Loki. Like I guess Loki was originally an angel of death.
0: Okay, all right Loki. then then I'm then I'm off on this because it's like for some reason, all I ever think of, <laughs> all oh, no, I ever yeah. think of is uh, Loki the trickster God.
1: Yeah, Norse mythology has super like taken over that name. so I don't know if there's like an, a reason why he picked Loki. I don't know if it was because of the trickster God. but I know they say that he's supposed to be uh, an angel of death and he got drunk. And I guess that that's the reason why he got kicked out of heaven because he got drunk one night and went and told God he doesn't want to kill anymore and god said but that's your purpose and was like well all right bye then um but yeah like i think it's really there's actually a joke about what you were saying how so goodwill hunting right uh ben affleck and matt damon are the ones that that, you know they 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 talked to kevin smith originally they had an angle where there was supposed to be like the fbi was trying to like recruit will into being like this code breaker for for the nsa or some shit i forgot what but pretty much uh i think it was kevin smith was like okay like take out that angle and focus more on his relationships like make this more more grounded in realism make it a drama not an action thriller um and they did that and that's how we got goodwill hunting so as a result of that he helped them like kind of get the movie made um so the you know they would appear in movies because you know they're his friend. But there's a joke I think in Jane Silent Bob, um, yeah, in Jane Silent Bob Strike Back when they're working on Goodwill Hunting Two Hunting Season, <laughs> when they're like, yeah, your your Hollywood director friend helps you make one movie, and next thing you know, you're doing a bunch of cameos for the rest of your life, and they just both look at the camera talking directly to Kevin Smith. <laughs> So it was funny you bring up the good hunting because that just that's the gag it reminds me of. <laughs> oh man! So all this time, uh, Bethany continues to have her crisis of conscience, not knowing if she's strong enough she, to kind of shoulder the burden. Um, and then Rufus making things even more difficult uh, reveals that she is actually the great, great, great whatever grandniece, of jesus christ and that that's why she was actually picked to be the last sign because you know what rufus deposits is that even though um you know even though jesus was the son of god uh one of the things that the catholic church didn't really talk about or re- was the fact that mary and joseph probably still had children outside of
0: jesus you even know though he- i must have fallen asleep or gotten busy or something i didn't know this i did or at least i don't remember this this part of it really? i had no idea. i i swear until you just mentioned it now i i didn't think that bethany had any kind of religious like connection to anything
1: yeah that's the that's the whole reason why she was picked as the last scion um was because of that so they're depositing that theory um and you know that's what i like about the the writing in this movie is it does a good job of bringing the kind of the human angle to these myths like you know there's a scene where um i think it's this scene too like later on in this scene as she runs away from the camp because she's freaking out she actually runs into metatron who's waiting for her while he's standing on like the lake do you remember that Like, do you remember that part where, like, Alan Rickman's just standing over on the water, like, waiting? Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I
0: do, yeah, I remember that stuff. Yeah. So,
1: like, during that part, I think this
0: is more of just like specifically, it's like this dialogue was like the one thing I didn't think about. It makes sense because now I'm even thinking about something that's said at the end of the movie. It's Mm -hmm. just not something I was thinking about, like, up until you just brought it up. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha.
1: Anyway, yeah. So, it's like during that, during that scene, um, You know, like I think Rufus mentions how, you know, the Bible does a time skip for 18 years from when Jesus is 12 to when he's 18. Um, And, you know, and he deposits that during that time was when Jesus had to come to terms with the fact that he is the Son of God, that he is both human and God. Um, And, you know, later on, Bethany talks about, you know, when she's talking to Metatron, Metatron mentions how he was the one that um, had to talk to Jesus about him having to come to terms with being the son of god and that uh, even not even god herself could be there to tell her son that you know he he has this responsibility to humanity um and you know he talked about uh, you know like it was it was really interesting how metatron like you like you mentioned he's like this dickhead like <laughs> like he's this guy that's like three done with everything but deep down he really does care um because whether it was for jesus or it was for bethany he has like a soft spot for humanity and now he really does want what's best for them you know so it's like she's he serves this role to kind of like help her gain at least her confidence enough for her to continue the mission and to be able to stop these guys um when they end up getting the new jersey they try to talk to the cardinal uh played by george carlin (laughs) they try to talk to him about get about uh being able to stop the ceremony the the centennial ceremony so that way the Bartleby and Loki can't get in uh he writes him off as crazies to which Jay and Bob respond by stealing one of his uh golf clubs and as there are as they meet up with the muse back in a bar uh they end up getting uh confronted by asriel and the the triplets and you know this is the big scooby-doo reveal moment where we find out that Azriel's actually been the one that has been orchestrating everything uh because up until now metatron and the muse believe that there was somebody that uh had been orchestrating everything to make sure you know to to kind of essentially jumpstart the
0: apocalypse
1: mm-hmm. um they were just trying to figure out who, uh, especially since this person found a way to incapacitate God, um, who had to take human form so that they can go,
0: so that God can play skee ball, um, which is, apparently which is like what the beginning of this movie means. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that it's, it's why like... you got the focus on this old man who gets attacked by those three hockey kids.
1: Yeah, because they talk about John Doe Jersey several times, uh, kind of alluding to that supposed to be um, where God is pretty much inside the this body. Um, but here, you know, Asriel, Jason Lee, played by Jason Lee, uh, ends up re, uh, giving his entire plan, talking about how he's orchestrated all this because he wants the end of existence, because he's tired of being in hell and way back when lucifer first revolted against god he kind of played you know he tried to play both sides so he can come out on top
0: i've seen enough james bond movies to not give away my entire plan proceeds to give (laughs) away entire plan Gives
1: away. (laughs) (laughs) and yeah and so his plan and you know when when asked why he would uh you know why he why is ending existence better than going back to hell Uh, he responds well I've been there and I'm never going back Um, so I'm like okay cool like he's been our villain the whole long the whole time but he's only revealed to be our villain for like maybe five minutes like I think that's where it's interesting because I don't feel like I feel like Bartleby and Loki are the antagonists of the film but I don't think they're necessarily villainous until
0: Bartleby kind of loses his shit I think they're villainous absolutely it's just in some ways, I actually think that Bartleby's even more villainous than, than Jason Lee's character is in this. Than Asriel, yeah. I, Asriel seems stupider in some ways. <laughs> like the fact that he does end up completely giving away exactly what they're doing, and the fact that you know, the, when the whole thing with the golf club happens, you know, where, where Silent Bob <laughs> grabs the golf club and like smacks the shit out of it with him. I mean, we find out, I guess, that it was blessed, and that's probably why. But just That's still, why, it's, yeah. It, yeah. But it's like at the same time, it's like this guy just doesn't seem like the brains of anything.
1: Yeah, I feel like it was, he was just short-sighted. <laughs> he wasn't your big like capital V villain, I guess. He's oh, also I... just
0: not like as physically imposing as Ben Affleck is. It's not like Ben Affleck is like Justice League Batman Ben Affleck at this point. No. He's not at all that. But he's just I don't know. There's something more physically imposing about him and Matt Damon than jason lee
1: and i like the scene where where um sama hayek's trying to tell where the muse is trying to tell silent bob to grab the 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 club to hit him with because like every time she points at it or she looks at it there's like a weird like sound bite that plays and it took me until this last time I watched it to realize that's her trying to like inspire him to do it, and I was like, "Oh, that's kind of clever." Like, it's little details like that where I'm like, "Oh, that's kind of cool." Like, you know, it's in line to what 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 uh, the rest of the stuff going on in this movie. Um, but yeah, like I think, mean, and you know, this takes us to our climax after our heroes are able to escape from Azreel and they're able to to, I guess, drown the demon kids <laughs> in blessed sink water. They end up uh, grabbing a gun that Azriel had, and they head over to the church to try to stop uh, Bartleby and Loki from going inside. Uh, you know, we get the, we get this scene where Bartleby uh, confronts the Cardinal at the beginning of the, of the ceremony. And, uh, he ends up killing a cop in front of everyone after talking about how humanity is guilty of sin and how they deserve to be purged. And I guess during this time, uh, Loki ends up losing his wings. Um, you know, it is important to note that Loki this entire time does kind of like doesn't want to do this anymore. He thinks that they're doing, you know, they're they're going off the deep end. But because he cares about Bartleby, he kind of plays along with it. Um, but during this time, he ends up losing his wings, which ends up, you know, he has nothing better to do. So he just starts drinking because their plan is to cross through the archway as humans and then come out and get killed by the police after they've murdered essentially everyone at this church. <laughs> uh, so while Loki's drinking, Bottle like flying around, just picking people up and dropping them into the, into the street, killing them. Um, however, when Loki kind of confronts Bartleby about how he doesn't agree with what they're doing and how they should stop, uh Bartleby ends up killing him, um uh, and just kind of leaving him waiting for you know waiting for the rest of their plan to, to go through. Uh this is I, I'm not a huge fan of the pacing in the in the in the um the climax in, of this in the movie. Climax. yeah, because there's a lot of times where I'm just like, what are you doing? Just wasting time, just do it already. <laughs> like if you're Bartleby and Loki I'm like you guys are just wasting too much time just fucking if you're gonna do it just do it just <laughs> yeah I feel clean, like you know?
0: yeah it it feels a little dumb like just the amount of waiting we seem to be doing in this climax
1: yeah so uh you know the sign or uh Bethany and Silent Bob end up once Bethany is able to kind of put together that uh John Doe is god uh in a human form she ends up getting silent bob and they end up running over to the hospital to try to to try to um kill essentially take him off life support so that uh god can go directly to heaven and then come back to earth and kind of fix everything uh our other heroes try to get a jump on bartleby uh jay and his infinite wisdom using uh the uzi Ends up shooting off Bartleby's wings, turning him human, which is exactly what he wanted. And in this mad dash to try to cross the archway into the church, uh, right as Bethany pulls the plug on John Doe Jersey, uh, God and Metatron reveal themselves coming through the archway, stopping Bartleby from doing it. And essentially, you know, God embraces Bartleby uh, to, you know, and he, he asks for forgiveness for what he's done. And you now that he's human, uh, one of the things that they deposit, the reason why Metatron exists is because he acts as a translator for God's voice because any human that hears God will literally have their heads exploded. <laughs> so he acts as the intermediary since he is the voice of God. So, um, you know, God, played by Alanis Morissette, opens her mouth, at killing Bartleby. Um after a couple like funny quips from Jay. And she then kind of fixes everything so that the you know so that um I don't know if she brought everyone back that Loki and Portal be killed. Like, you know, but it's I guess it's kind of what's deposited by the end of the film. But um, you know, like our our heroes were able to to stop the angels from getting back into heaven and kind of as a um thank you uh you know there's that line i think it's the line you were talking about where uh bethany was saying she'll do anything you know if they need her again because she is the last scion to which uh metatron responds well that's only half right uh you're no longer the last scion and she ends up touching her you know metatron touches her womb and saying that um uh her child will be the last scion which you know if you didn't remember from the beginning of the film she actually couldn't have kids so that's kind of like the miracle in her life and yeah pretty much you know roll credits we get a couple of goofy one-liners from jay and silent bob and roll credits and that's dogma for you (laughs) Mm -hmm. i think uh be this is gonna be an interesting part having some final thoughts about the film angel you got any final thoughts or you want to just jump into whether you like it or not
0: well, I could I could tell you whether I like it or not right now. And, all right, let's uh, go. and I actually <laughs> I don't hate it and I don't dislike <laughs> it. but I don't like it. <laughs> you it's know, all right. like it's the middle of the way
1: for you, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It, it's
0: it's just it, it's one of those things where, and I think we've talked about it a lot this year, it's just the ability to watch some of these things colors my experience especially right now it just colors my experience with the movies the fact and this isn't Kevin Smith's fault right it's not his fault but the fact that it's very difficult to get a hold of this movie to watch it you're just I don't know if I'm just not in the right frame of mind to watch it again as I talked about I feel like some of the you know some of the mythology that it's gone into here feels dated to me only because and it's not It's not because you know anything is in here is is outrageously wrong or anything that I think is insanely more right than any of this. It's just you know as I said uh, I'm I'm just more you know it feels a little you know yes we have a female God yes you know we talk about Black Jesus and stuff it's just but there's so there's enough of this that feels like old christianity that i'm just not terribly into it mm-hmm. um i'm just the subject matter of it i guess it's just something that's not that that just doesn't work for me and i'll put it to you this way it probably just isn't the right genre for me to swallow this because there's another movie where we have a main character that is dealing with the crisis of faith that we've done on this show and, you know, we did it the second year when we did Exorcist, right? We, uh, we have the Damien Karras, the father character, who all of the stuff that's happening around him is just him dealing with the crisis of his own faith. Does he believe in things that he doesn't? You know, or maybe even that Exorcist 3 movie where you have uh, George C. Scott's like police officer character who's like dealing with like the supernatural and just the practical stuff of his job. I think maybe because the genre in this isn't horror or isn't something that's just more inherently interesting to me it's probably why I don't get into it as much mm-hmm. and that's not a problem of the person who made it again as I said I don't think this is a terrible movie and I do, I just don't think it's that great but I also I can't you know none of what I say should color anyone else's experience <laughs> This is just my thoughts
1: <laughs> on a uh on our movie podcast about where we tell
0: people how to think <laughs> about movies no we tell people how we feel about movies <laughs> no i tell people
1: how to think and i yell at
0: them when they're wrong. <laughs> no and this isn't like an aggressive like I, you know i feel like early on the first year of the podcast we were a lot more aggressive towards each other when we disagreed on stuff I e like Anything that had to do with talking about the last Jedi?
1: <laughs> I think I mean um,
0: we've grown up a lot since then. I think we're more capable of stepping outside of our own comfort zone and watching movies with each other like you know and just kind of being open to the experience. So I'll put it this I'll put it that way. I was open to the experience, but I come away ultimately feeling too agnostic for me to be that interested in it
1: get it oh so (laughs) agnostic (laughs)
0: oh
1: my god how do you always have the douchiest (laughs) (laughs) no man like i really like this movie i think i watched it a really good time in my life kind of when i was starting to question like is traditional catholicism really a thing for me um in some ways i feel like this movie was made for me <laughs> in a weird way where it's it, it it's a movie about jaded i don't want to say evangelicals but it's like a movie about jaded catholics for jaded catholics because ultimately i remember when i first watched this movie i just took away being like religion is stupid and no one should believe in anything and nihilism is the right way to go and while I am still a nihilist, kind of by trade, I think it is. It does deposit um, the importance of belief, which is really nice. Um, I think I like. I it's one of those movies that it's like it's it, it's, it, it presents these really like it, it tries to do a highbrow, uh, highbrow topic like religion and talk about it in a lowbrow way and personally i think that's kind of the best way to talk about anything whether you're talking about politics or religion or anything it's like you try to talk about it in a way in the lowest common denominator so that it, these conversations become easier more accessible for everyone well, i think you know? it's what like, i think it
0: i think when we talk about horror movies especially horror movies now like mm-hmm. that is what that is what horror movies are they're at least the good ones are you're taking some subject matter that's inherently more deep uh, and interesting, but you're positing it in a genre that's considered exploitation, considered mm-hmm. lowbrow by nature, something that, you know, oh well, we don't bring this in, in the Oscars and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and I think if I probably was watching this 10 years ago, you know, when I was a lot more of a film snob, I probably would have been like, "Well, blah, 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 while completely dispelling. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, but, you know, watching it now, especially someone who considers, I love exploitation genres a lot more than I like, you know, what most people, you know, I've become completely disillusioned with what people consider cinema at this point and I think it's a lot more subjective now (laughs) than I did back then so Mm -hmm. yeah definitely definitely. I think it's super subjective and you know like I think you're right I think um plus this is comedy right I mean in a lot of ways it's a comedy movie and I think the thing about comedy is that it it, at least the comedy in this movie it can be subjective as well mm -hmm. like the stuff there's nothing inherently haha funny about it here but the it's like the jokes of the buddy christ and you know Fuck like you the, those the, were hilarious <laughs> I, I love it and the memes of hit of chris rock and buddy christ and all that kind of stuff like come from this movie i appreciate them and like them i don't dislike that stuff i think it's cool i think i think what what kevin smith did here is cool it's mm-hmm. just it's just not it's my, not for you it's just yeah. not for me <laughs> But again, but I don't want to walk away from it like just saying, well, fuck this, right? Like this was there was a Mm. lot of good stuff in here. And I definitely appreciated the fact that I watched it. I would much rather watch this movie and then not be that impressed with it than I guess not having seen this movie. So even if I didn't like it, if you're able to seek it out and if you're that interested in going to see it, why not check it out?
1: Yeah, I mean... You better feel that way after you made me fucking watch goddamn Exorcist 3. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But no, like, again, I've and I've said it on the show and I've said it to people that have talked to us about it. Like, this, that is the number one reason why I don't like reviewing comedies. And it's, you know, why I had my reservations reviewing um, Home Alone or uh, what was the other one? Cable uh, guy. Cable guy. Mm-hmm. You know, movies that are inherently subjective because you. I mean, again, comedy is one of the one of the few genres where it's like it. You know, it can either be really good or bad on purpose, and that's like kind of like their deal. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, you know, it, 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 it's comedies are meant to hit your, you know specific people. Um, but I feel like this was one of those movies that hit me directly. Um, it was one of those movies that, um, yeah, it was just one of those movies that, that it hit me at the right time. And I, you know, I can't recommend enough for people to at least check out, you know, what I do like about it is it's able to talk about religion in a way where it doesn't make fun of the people that believe in religion. Um, cause that's just a dickhead thing to do to try to talk down to people. Uh, I I do like that with Kevin Smith. If he's pointing out stuff, he's he's po- pointing out the concepts of religion itself, like how you know women are you know the 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 what's it called the symbolism of women always being negative in the Bible and talking about how a woman was the one that took Samson's hair, woman screwed hum- women screwed humanity in the Garden of Eden, and kind of like how he's able to juxtapose that by making the Linus God, you know. Mm-hmm like I, I think he does bring up a lot of interesting um points and po- like you know is able to poke fun of like just the idea of catholicism and that um in a respectful way too like i don't think any of this is sacrilegious i don't think any of this was uh was um you don't of it is dogma <laughs> oh <laughs> you sneaky bastard <laughs> But yeah, I recommend people to like especially if you're a Kevin Smith fan, you know what you're already signing up for. If you get a chance to check it out, highly recommend it. Um and you know what, if it doesn't hit your funny bone the way it hits mine, then that's perfectly fine too. I think the important thing is we all believe in something.
0: I'm going to say this. This review or at least us doing this episode, what I kind of like about it is this was an episode that we just did where we probably didn't talk about our thoughts about it like while we were watching it, but I feel like I feel like the conversation around the plot and all that kind of stuff, like the stuff we're talking about before and after, like, I feel like that stuff is has been interesting. This is definitely a unique episode in the fact that we've had so much to talk about, like on the outside of the actual episode of the movie we're watching.
1: Oh, definitely. It's 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 uh, it's definitely a different um, experience than what, especially the way we have been watching movies lately.
0: All right. So, you know, we are, we, you know, did two back to back with Godzilla and Mortal Kombat. We did back to back like new releases and stuff. Uh, we just came back to do Dogma, which is a lot more of an obscure release and very hard to, to get your hands on. The next two weeks, episodes 90, 98 and 99, we are going to be reviewing uh, next week. Uh, we're going to be starting with The Lost Boys which is a movie that Javi and I are both ready to talk about. And I can't, honestly, I can't wait because you brought up the idea to watch this movie, but we have never talked about it before. I don't think you and I have ever had any kind of conversation about this movie before. And I know we've both seen it. I cannot wait to talk about it because I it will legitimately be the first time that you and I have a real discussion on it. Yeah,
1: it really will be. Thank you, Joel Schumacher.
0: <laughs> R.I.P. Joel Schumacher as well. <laughs> and uh, the week after that, episode ninety nine, we are going to be doing uh, Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown, which you know I I can't wait to talk about it because Jackie Brown, much like RoboCop, you know, and maybe one or two other movies that we've done on this show, really does top my favorite movies of all time list that's i cannot wait to talk about it
1: oh and before we you know uh yeah before we sign off uh yeah we got episode 100 coming up we're gonna do something special for that one hopefully um i did have someone ask me about so our episode count might be a little bit weird i think we're we're one off of what we said originally Mm -hmm. because uh someone pointed out that we never got the which one was it? The uh, Your Next episode.
0: Right. Now. And I tried um, I tried to go yeah. back and, and figure out what the issue was. And I will just bring it up right now. Your Next has H- Javi comes across absolutely perfectly. I don't know what was going on with my microphone that evening that we did that show. But it is all staticky. And it's it's dis- it's just there's a distracting amount of static that comes from my end every single time that I talk on that show. Um, I don't mind if people really want to hear our thoughts on that movie, if we ever post it, but it's one of those movies that maybe we will have to redo again at some point, Which sadly, cool even yeah. though I thought, cause I thought that was a really good episode. And what I've yeah. listened to is I think our discussion on it's been pretty good. And if we ever do it again, it's going to be different. Right. So 100%. it's one of those sad, like lost episode kind of deals. And it's all <sighs> practically my fault, but You know, if we get enough of a fan uproar about it that you guys really want to hear it, I don't mind posting it like on some sort of like YouTube or just something else. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. I'm not crazy about adding it to the canon because it's just the quality of it really is poor. And I don't want to put that kind of episode out <laughs> and include it in our canon. So yes,
1: release the your next cut.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so yes, your uh, Jackie Brown is almost like the your next like it's it's what we're patching in there uh, to mm-hmm. go in before the, before episode 100 but not a bad movie to patch in and I can't wait to talk about it.
1: I mean, I ain't complaining all, all right. right that's about it thanks everyone for checking us out as always make sure to leave us a review on uh apple podcasts uh get that algorithm going so that way we can trend from what i hear we are in the bottom 1000 of comedy movie <laughs> <content podcasts. laughs> so that's still something no i'm just kidding but seriously like any interaction you guys got would be great and we appreciate you guys for always listening and always checking in whether it's nine of y'all or 18 of (laughs) y'all
0: um Thankfully, it's more than that.
1: (laughs) Oh, thank God. (laughs) Sorry, friend of the show, Jose, gave me a complex. That fucking asshole.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. And, again, as Javi said, continue to interact with us. We cannot wait to continue to... I can't wait for episode 100. So I'm looking forward to the next few weeks of this uh, show. And we thank you guys for joining us. We'll talk to you guys next time. Later, y'all.